Welcome to Redemption Community Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit www.redemptiondallas.org. In Galatians 4, he writes, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son. This is what we were talking about just a moment ago, that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Jesus Christ. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And it is that last portion I want to focus on this morning that Paul says, I am going to labor in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And I want to focus this morning on that one word, formed. Father, thank you for your word. It is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path, and I thank you for it this morning. Your word's anointed. Your spirit's here already anointing. I just ask you that you would open up our understanding and you would help this word be applied to our lives in a very real way. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I am always fascinated by the construction of large buildings. When we moved here several years ago, I got to watch the State Farm Building at 75 and Bush just be built from a steel frame and just watch as they, they built that. And I'm always in awe of anything that is built. Because I realize the planning, the logistics, the design, the carefulness, everything that was ever built first had to have a design. Uh, 
and it, it starts from a, a concept. Somebody has an idea and then it goes on paper on a blueprint and, and then the toil and the sweat and the work that go into that and the effort. Uh, it doesn't just happen by accident. Buildings, houses, they are all formed. God has the creative ability to speak things into existence. He creates with His Word. He says, let there be, and there was. This is how the universe was created. God simply spoke His Word. Now, this is us applying human characteristics to God. God doesn't have a mouth. God is a spirit. But in whatever way that we can understand using our imagery and our metaphors, we say that God spoke. Whatever that means, and the Bible says that God spoke whatever that means in terms of God's Spirit. But God in His Spirit, He speaks because He is the eternal Word. In the beginning was the Word. God's nature, that eternal nature, is the Word. And so He speaks. He says, let there be. And He speaks worlds and galaxies and stars and planets. He speaks them into existence. And I think there is more going on there in the creation story than we could ever possibly comprehend about how God did that. But it seems to be a pattern. There is a precedence of God to create something, some things with effort and through time. Even though He can say, let there be, uh, the pattern for creation at times seems to be slow. It seems to be that it has to be designed and it has to grow. He did not speak mankind, humanity, into existence. The writer of Genesis says, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden east in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So it's very intentional language to say that God didn't speak man into existence, he formed him. God told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the belly of your mother, I knew you. And before you came forth out of the womb, you were sanctified, and I ordained you to be a prophet of the nations. I formed you in your mother's belly, God said to Jeremiah. Galatians 4, what Paul is telling us is that Christ can be formed inside of us. We were talking earlier about justification. That's that one-time event where God declares you righteous. Your sins are remitted. They're removed. They're placed upon the work of Jesus Christ. And that is a sovereign, miraculous act of God. But that is a one-time event. The rest of our lives we are being formed into believers because the goal for those who are converted is more than membership. It's more than missing eternal damnation and punishment. It's more to say, hey, I don't have to spend an eternity in hell. It's about being formed in the image of Jesus Christ. And I am grateful for every tool, for every sermon, for every podcast, for every book, uh, for every thing that we can do to disciple all of us, myself included, because every effort must be made to intentionally move people toward maturity in Jesus Christ. But that maturity is more than getting people to line up to a set of standards to say, well, you need to live this way or do this or, or don't do that. Should the church have standards a thousand percent? Yes. But if we just get people to a standard of living, a standard of acceptable behavior, and Christ does not get formed inside of them, then we are guilty of being the legalists that some have said that we are. It is about Christ being formed inside of us. The outward appearance of a man or woman should be the result of Christ being formed on the inside of you. And that should transform to the outside. But every ministry, every sermon, everything we do has, has got to advance us closer 
to a relationship with Jesus Christ so that Christ is formed inside of every single one of us. Now when the Apostle Paul uses the word formed, he is using this word, the actual word that he's writing is the word related to morph, which is where we get the idea of metamorphosis. Uh, metamorphosis, we probably learned about this in school eons ago, it's this process by which an animal physically develops after they're born. And it's the only time, the only time in Scripture that that word is used. This one time in Galatians 4, until Christ is formed in you. It speaks to developing after you were born. We don't do that. I was born with ten fingers and ten toes. Um, I, didn't, I wasn't born with seven fingers and the other three grew after that. That would be weird. That's not how this works. We are formed before we are born. Uh, that's, there are animals, however, who they're formed afterwards, metamorphosis. And this is what Paul is saying is happening, that you are, Christ is formed in you after you were born again. You were born again and then Christ transforms your life after this. It's very intentional language. So the church's definition, we could say that this is our definition, is that it is a spiritual process by which a born-again believer spiritually develops. Not just grows. We all grow after we're born. But Paul's saying you do more than just grow, but you develop. You are going to have in your faith walk characteristics and traits that did not exist when you came to Jesus Christ. You'll have things about you that were absolutely radically different three years after coming to Christ. It's not that they existed when you came to Christ and then it, you, know, you developed those things. It's that they weren't there at all and you developed them. This is how you grow in Jesus Christ. You're, you're a baby. You're immature when you come to Him and you have a lifetime of development and growth and change, but it takes time. It is a process. It is a journey. And if we ever feel, and I've seen a lot of mature, faithful Christians fall because of this. If you ever feel that you've arrived, like I'm done growing, I'm done developing, there's nothing else God can do with me, I'm there. That's dangerous. That is the dangerous spot to be in. The Bible says, let every man that thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. My flesh is just as carnal as it has ever been. Your flesh, your human nature never gets sanctified. It never becomes righteous. The Apostle Paul could cry out, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. Another place he cries out, he goes, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? That's Paul talking. None of us get there. I need Jesus more today than I've ever needed Him before. Let Christ be formed in every single one of us. The way that you think and approach life will change for the better over time. It is called progress, and that's what we look for in our faith walk. Are we making progress toward Christ being formed inside of us? How do we measure Christian maturity? Well, we don't actually measure it. I mean, we don't take metrics and write it down and say, okay, this is where I'm at. It doesn't work that way. But if we did, how would we, how would we measure that? And I think one way is when we would allow the Holy Spirit and the preached Word of God to affect our everyday lives. Like Christianity does not exist in a vacuum or in a bubble. It's not we come in here and do this one hour each week and then we go out there and live a life that is just separated, that has no bearing on this. This is supposed to affect that. 
This time together, the time together that we spend with God is supposed to affect our decisions, our finances, our friends, our habits, the things that we do that nobody else sees, the things that nobody else knows, but it should affect those in our private life. It's called character and integrity because this is a more than a Sunday operation. This is more than a, a Wednesday evening Bible study at a church or a group of people getting together. This is letting God evade, invade our lives. It's about living a life that doesn't ask, can I do this and still be saved? Uh, but the question is rather, can I do this and still please God? Is this God honoring in my life? I could do it. I could probably do it and be saved. It's, salvation doesn't work based off my performance or my works, but does it please and honor God? Ask the, the question, who am I? If I were to ask you the question, who are you? Most people would respond to this question by answering, well, they'd start with, my name is fill in the blank, and that name, who that person is, would represent your character and your values and your reputation. Think about people you know. You say a name and immediately, not just what the person looks like, but their character, their integrity, or their lack of. As soon as you say that name, everything that you know about that person follows in your head. It's automatic. It represents who you are. But then you could probe deeper and saying, no, 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 who is this person? And you could say, well, here's my bi biography. I was born here. I'm uh, this old. This is what I do for a living. This is what I like to do for hobbies. This is uh, my background, my ethnicity, all of that. But still, that doesn't really answer the question of who you really are. Uh, they, they have personality tests online that you can take and you can answer 80, 100 questions and it will tell you exactly your personality and it'll tell you what famous people you share your personality with and it'll also tell you in certain ones what occupation suits you best. Uh, there are some people who, you know, if you hate math and your personality is not detail oriented, you probably don't want to be an engineer. Uh, the, the, but it, you know, if a person is really detail-oriented and they're an introvert and they have no creativity, that person probably doesn't need to be an artist because we're all wired differently. I took, I've taken several of these tests over the years and it's always scary to me how much it knew about me. It would tell me things that I didn't think anybody else knew and yet this random test is telling me things that, like, yeah, that, that describes me to a T. But none of us are completely satisfied in who we are. Every one of us have things in our lives, financial, emotional, physical, spiritual. We all have things that we'd like to change. No one here has it all together. So you'd ask the question, well, how did you become the person that you are today? And we look at it and say, okay, there's at least three factors that have influenced the man or the woman that you are. Number one is your environment. Your environment does play a role in who you are. The home you grew up in, what you observed in your parents' lives, your family harmony or family chaos, it affects who you are. If your parents divorced, it will affect you for the rest of your life in some ways. It will alter who you are as a person. People who have uh, experienced abuse, um, it will change how you think about certain things. Uh, the school you went to, whether or not you were popular, the quality of education you received, a child going to an inner city ghetto school versus a child going to an affluent suburb where they have swimming pools in school. I mean, th this exists, and then everything in between. Uh, all of this affects who we are. I, I counseled a man several years ago, and while, while he's had his struggles, he certainly came a long way from where he was at. But most people just knew what he was on the outside. 
they knew of him as a convicted sex offender. That was his reputation. And not just that, but if you looked it up, he was the, like, the worst of the worst. And he told me a story one time. He said, I was raised in Cabrini Green. Now, a lot of people today don't know what Cabrini Green is or was, but back in the day, it was synonymous with bad public housing. Cabrini Green was infamous in the city of Chicago in the 70s and 80s and 90s. Uh, it was a place that police officers did not like to go. It was the Wild West. Anything went in these in, in Cabrini Green. And it was, it was a series, it was a chain of uh, public housing. The mayor of Chicago, infamously years ago, said, it's not so bad, I'm going to go there and live for a while to show everybody. And you can imagine how that turned out. Um, he didn't last very long at all. Uh, the guy that I counseled told me, he said, you did not get in the elevator because horrible things happened in the elevators of Cabrini Green. He said, we would walk the steps. He goes, we were way up there. He goes, every day you just walked steps. Nobody would get in the elevators. And the crime that he committed was um, against a young teenage girl. And this is what he told me. He said, here's the thing. He said, everybody was doing that. He said, I didn't know it was wrong. He said, it's not like I was doing something that nobody else did. He said, it's just it's how I was raised. He said, my, my mother sold me and my sister to other people. He said, this is just, he goes, and that's just, that was Cabrini Green. It was, we didn't think anything of it. He said, that was our lifestyle. We don't know of, any, of anything outside of there. Well, he left that area, moved 300 miles away, and tried to live that same lifestyle and went to prison for several years. And rightfully so. I'm not arguing against that. He rightfully deserved and is not excused by the law of God or the laws of the land. He, that, I have no argument with that. But I can see. I, I get the mentality. I believed him when he told me. He said, everybody lived like that. He said, it's all we knew. He said, I left the area and still tried to live like that and went to prison. And it's because... It's easy to see how someone who has these warped values instilled, instilled in them would end up in the wrong road. I didn't have to be raised like that. If I were raised like that, maybe I would have ended up in the, in the place that he was. That's why the church is here. It exists to rescue, to provide refuge, to provide healing for people who have a past like that. And then to say, okay, now we're going to instill inside of you a new set of values, godly values, biblical values that come from this book. The whole point of the gospel is that it doesn't just save us, it transforms us. It gives us new values. You can change who you are through the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's Word. The second thing that determines who we are is our choices the decisions that we make every day. My grandpa used to tell me that your life is the sum of your decisions that you made put together. That's what your life is. All your decisions added together, that's what your life is. That's why it's vital that we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says that the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. We've got to be sensitive to His voice so that we can follow His direction. And our prayer should be, God, lead us, lead our lives, lead our families, lead our church, because the choices we make will determine who we are. And the third thing that determines who we are are events that we have no control over. I've seen tragedy strike people's lives in ways that they had no control over. On Thanksgiving day of 2010, uh, the phone rang Thanksgiving morning and my wife's cousin um, was, was killed 
in an automobile accident, her and her husband. They had just in the beginning of ministry, just married. Uh, and I sat in the funeral a few days later and watched a pastor who was her dad. Her dad was uh, the pastor of the church and she had moved off to another state and they were on their way back. And in the middle of the night, uh, I think it was raining really hard, they lost control and uh, lost their lives. And I sat in the funeral and I watched her dad speak in front of his daughter's casket in the exact spot where he married her and her husband five months before that. And the thought hit me that day is that that man will never be the same. He is forever an altered man and he has no control over it. He didn't get a say-so in how his life is altered. No choice. He will never recover from that fully. Rightfully so. None of us would. And it stayed with me because I've always felt like, I think before then, I always felt like I have control over my life to an extent. I make right, if I make right decisions or I make bad decisions, but it still rests on me. I will determine what kind of person I am, how I think. And that just wrecked that entire thought process that day. Say, no, you, you'll, get a, you'll get a hand in it, but there are going to be events in life that you have no say-so over. I have watched people... It's one thing to watch people suffer because of stupid decisions they've made. That happens. But I've watched some people suffer. I have one family in particular I can think of that, man, I've watched that family suffer. I mean, catastrophe after catastrophe that they had no, there was nothing they could have done to change it. it just, that was just, that's the course that their life is. I don't have an explanation for it. But I just know that, make no mistake, the storms of life will leave their mark on your mind, soul, and spirit. It's called life, and it happens to all of us. Every single one of us will get our turn to go through those things. You are not going to pray your way out of every storm. There are some things you are simply going to walk through. You will get to the other side. You will come out of it by the grace of God, but you will not go around it. You are going to walk through it. And we all sit here today, the sum of our environment, our decisions, and the storms of our life. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus Christ doesn't want to just live inside of us. He wants to be formed inside of us and He wants to change us and form us in the process. That's why the Apostle Paul could make that wonderful statement. It's not I, but Christ that lives within me. It's not me. Paul was a walking dead man. He died on a road to Damascus. His life was in his mind's eye was worthless. He said, I count everything as dung, as just refuge, as, as human waste. I count everything as dung, except that knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not I, but Christ that lives within me. The power of His Spirit. He doesn't just give us His Spirit so that we could feel good or that we could speak in tongues, and those things are all good and needed. But He doesn't give it his spirit just for that. He, get, he lives inside of us. We have this treasure in earth and vessels. Paul said, what? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He dwells inside of us. He wants to form himself inside of us. He wants to make us walk like him, to talk like him, to be like him. That's the, the point of Christianity. In the Old Testament, the analogy had to be that he is the potter and I am the clay. That's Old Testament. I still hear that. And I mean, that's true to an extent. But the Old Testament, the idea was that here's the potter and here's the clay. I'm the clay and the potter is on the outside of the clay forming it. Well, that kind of changes in the New Testament because now the potter's not on the outside of the clay forming it. Now the potter is inside of it. When, when Paul says that we have a treasure in earth and vessels, I learned that verse in King James. 
the, the more literal translation is we have this treasure in, in clay pots. That's the actual, so we have this treasure inside the clay pot. So the Old Testament, the potter is on the outside of the clay pot forming it. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes inside the clay pot and says, I'm going to work inside of you now. I'm going to do things that could never be done without me dwelling inside of you. We talk about demon possession. That's when an evil spirit could take up residence in a person's body and it does happen. But what about being possessed by the Holy Spirit? If demons can possess people and actually get inside of them and form them and change their... I've dealt with people who, uh, you know, in those situations, those people can actually, their, their eye color can change, their voice will change. It actually changes what they look like physically. Um, and I've dealt with some of that. But if that's possible for an evil spirit, what about what can the Holy Spirit do when He's inside of us? How can He transform our thoughts and our ideas and our, our shortcomings and our fears if we'll just let Him take up residence and form us? From yourself inside of me, Jesus, form me. We say we are Christians and it means that we're Christ-like, but I'm only a Christian to the extent that I have allowed Him to form me. And we all have attitudes and drives and desires and inner things that are not good. What I'm encouraging us today to do is not just to be satisfied with being saved, but to be like Jesus Christ. If there is a, a downfall, and, and every faith tradition has has strengths. I look at other faith traditions that I'm not part of that I'll probably never, very, very likely will never be part of that faith tradition. But I look at them and go, yeah, you've got some things we could learn. Like there are some really good things that we could take and, and incorporate. Uh, and then every faith tradition has weaknesses. I look at any faith tradition and I go, well, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to believe that. I don't want to, I don't want to, to worship that way. But our own faith tradition could say, hey, there's pros and there's cons. And if there is a downfall in faith traditions that really put an emphasis on being filled with the Holy Spirit, and I think we should really put a strong emphasis on being filled with the Holy Spirit. But if there is a downfall to that, is that it is easy to rely on an emotional experience without allowing the transforming power of His Spirit to remodel every area of our lives. It's not enough just to feel God. We've got to allow Him to change us. I thank God for the Holy Spirit. What a difference it's made in my life. We need a revival of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, with a, but with the emphasis on letting it form us into God-like behavior. Now, close with this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Mary was not pregnant with Joseph's baby. She was pregnant with the Son of God. The Bible says the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. So it's one time in the history of the universe, supernatural event, where she becomes pregnant. The child of the Holy Spirit, the, the literal Son of God. Jesus Christ Himself this is, what I want to, this is what I want us to see in closing. Jesus Christ Himself was the product of the Holy Spirit forming something inside of a willing vessel. Christ Himself was the product of the Holy Spirit coming together with a person and forming something miraculous inside.
I am crucified with Christ, Paul said. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My prayer this morning is that there would be something that was born in us today that would never die. Something born inside of us that says, I'm not what I want to be. I'm a lot more than I used to be, but transform me. Let this conversation produce a revolution that would result in transformation is our prayer this morning. Father, thank you for your word. You said in your word that it would not return void. And I know that as this seed has been planted this morning, Lord, that I pray that it would grow, that through faith that we would daily reflect upon you and your word and your will and your desire for our lives, that you would transform us into the image of Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to another. Lord, that we want to do more than just be saved, but we want to seek after what does it really mean to look like Jesus Christ. So Lord, we're, we're worshipers of God. We are disciples of the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are submitted to your word. and We are filled with your spirit. And we're honored this morning, Lord, that you've chosen us to be those people. We ask, Lord, that you would Grant us souls to minister to, souls to reach, souls to disciple, and to see transformed in the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask all this in the name that is above every name, the name where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, in the name of the Lord.